But today we're just going to talk about um, my title or subject. It's uh, Death Before Discipleship. Death Before Discipleship. And we're coming from the text uh, in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. And we'll begin at the first verse and we'll read down to verse uh, 7. And I think in the app, I was going through it this week. It's pretty cool. How many of you like the app? I love it. it makes it nice and easy. There's a Bible in there too. So I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. That's ESV. So you can go over to the Bible part and you can read in there and follow along with me. But we're in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. And we'll start at the first verse and read down to verse 7. If you don't know, my name is Jason. Yeah, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Jason Bulgin. Say uh, Pastor Jason or whatever, but Jason. My mama named me Jason. You all can call me Jason. Keep it nice and simple. <laughs> but um, Second Kings, and it reads as such. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. Somebody say dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And, he, and she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind you, yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she poured, and she poured. They brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. Somebody say, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Death before discipleship. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Amen. So change is, a, is an amazing thing. It comes with difficulty. Anyone here accustomed to change, has been through some changes? Anyone here has been through some changes? See, most change requires an adjustment. Change can require something to be done a little bit differently or something to be tweaked. Change can, can require departure from your normal routine. Somebody say normal routine. And it can require you to change to become more effective or more efficient. How many want to be more effective? More effective, more efficient. Some change we initiate and some change we react or respond to. Change is happening all around us. When I was coming into church today, I had to change where I was parking because of the construction going on. I had to come around the back. There was change. Somebody say change. There's change in temperature. Last week was really hot, and then we started to get real cool. 
There's change in temperature. There's change in economic status. There's, there's changes of jobs. There's change of circumstances. There's change all around us. And some of us have had to go through the process of changing churches. There's change. With all the change that happens in our lives, I've come to understand one very important thing. People don't resist change. They resist loss. So what does that mean, Pastor Jason? People don't resist things happening differently. People don't resist things changing around them. They, they, they ask the question, what am I losing? What are you taking away from me? When you're at a job and, and they, they want to change a, a certain way of doing things, you don't look at it as change to do something better. You're like, what are you taking away from me? What am I not able to do anymore? What, I, what don't I have access to anymore? Change. So we're not necessarily resisting the change. We're resisting loss. It's not what I will gain. It's not what I won't have. It's, it's not what I will inherit. It's what I will forfeit. What will I forfeit? Change is not about changing, it's about what I'm losing. Somebody say losing. See, Elizabeth Kluber Ross, she, she first proposed five stages. I'm holding up two hands. But five stages of grief in her book, Death and Dying. <laughs> the first stage is denial and isolation. So when you're going through loss, you, you, you deny the loss. This can't be happening. You know, that this can't be happening. Why is this happening? This can't be happening. And then you have some anger, the second stage. You're mad at, at the, this change that is going on. Why is this change going on? You're angry. Your fists are balled up. You're, you, you, you start to hyperventilate. You get angry. Your face gets all flush and red. Angry. And then you get to the stage where you start to bargain. Well, what if... If, 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 if this happens, can, 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 we, can we change the circumstances somehow? You try to plead and bargain with it. If only this would happen, or if only this. Then you get to that place of depression, that overwhelming weight, depression. And then finally, you have the stage of acceptance where you say, thy will be done. But when it comes to loss, we experience these stages in a variety of ways. The way I go through the stages may not be the way you go through the stages. The way you express these stages in, 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 the, in the picture of loss is exclusive to you. And we find our widow in this text facing loss. And the question becomes, how do we survive the death or the loss or the change in our house? How do we survive this? So let's walk through our text and find out what the text says. So we're in verse 1. It says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Now there are some serious issues here in this, in this first verse. The first issue Somebody say death. Her husband is dead. Her husband, the one that she's loved, the one that she's given her all to, is dead. She has him no longer, the one who provided for her. Her amazing one, her Casanova, the chief of her household. 
He's gone, her Superman. He's gone. Her everything is gone, and now they're about to take the next best thing, her sons. So you have death, and then we have a debt. Somebody say debt. And because she has this debt, they're about to take the only thing she has left, her sons. Do I have any mama's boys in the house? (laughs) I'm a mama's boy, yeah. That's right, her mama's boys. <laughs> but they're about to take her only two sons. And the crazy thing about it is the, these sons are probably the only outlet that, they're able to, that she's able to use to pay those debts. Her husband was the provider. Her husband went out and worked for the prophet and, 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 and sent money home and, and took care of the household. And now her sons are the only ones who are able to come in and, and step in and fill that void and, and, and work and, and you know, take care of mom. And they're about to take her sons to be slaves. There's a problem. There's death and then there's debt. That's a loss. That's some changes. So how is she going to handle this? And, and, and are, are any of us on the verge of losing something? Have you ever been on the verge of losing anything in this life? All that you hold dear is on the verge of being snatched away. What you thought you were comfortable in, what you thought was, was just going to be smooth sailing, is suddenly snatched away. Have you ever been there? The plan that you mapped out, how you were going to go from this step, step A to step B to step C, and then you'd wait a little bit, and then you'd hop over to step D. You had it all mapped out. And then suddenly change comes and turns everything upside down. The job is gone. The resources are gone. The car breaks down. Don't have money to fix the transmission. Change, unexpected change. What you love and everything you built is getting ready to be snatched away by the hands of someone else. But I came to encourage you and remind you that any loss that you've experienced is an opportunity. Somebody say opportunity. For God to release new life in your situation. Who's excited about new life? And God promises that your ladder will be greater. So the things of yesterday, the former things, are just, they're passed away. You're moving into a new season, a new life, a new experience. But you have to grab hold of it. So as we continue in our text and we jump down to to verse 2, it says, And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. Now, Elisha is asking questions, and he doesn't fix it right away. I'd be kind of frustrated. I'm coming to you with a problem. I'm coming to you with an issue, and I want an answer. I want, I want you to fix it right away. I want you to, to find money. I want you to gather up the troops and, 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 and work it out for me. I don't want you asking me questions. I just think of my, 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 my wife when we're... We're at home and, and there's an issue or she sees a spider. <laughs> or even my daughter, when she sees a spider, they're deathly afraid of spiders. 
And I remind them that God has given them dominion over every living creature. <laughs> but they're still afraid, and they call out to Dad. They call out to, to me to come save them from these little spiders. <laughs> but if I come and I approach it, <laughs> what would you like me to do for you? As opposed to just going in and, and, and getting the spider, grabbing some paper towel and, and, and doing what I have to do to get it. If I come in asking questions, they're not going to be too happy. They're going to have an attitude. Well, why can't you just what? Attitude. <laughs> if there's a problem, Jason, just fix it. Somebody say, just fix it. Just fix it. If the sink is backed up, well, what do you have under the sink? Just fix it. What do you have in the house? Don't ask questions. Just fix it. Some of us have walked away from our blessing simply because somebody decided to ask us a question. Someone asked a question about our, our, our ministry. Someone asked our question about our motives. Someone asked our question about our, our budget. Someone asked a question about our friends. And because we didn't like being asked a question, we walked away from the blessing God was about to bestow on us. Are you with me? And when they asked the question, we got to a place where we didn't want to answer, so we, we weren't honest. We didn't give an honest inventory of what was in our house. And your ability to be honest about your inventory, the inventory in your house, will release the blessing for your house. Are you with me? Your ability to be honest about what is in your house will release the blessing for your house. How many of you need a blessing for your house? I need a blessing for my house. So if I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. So you don't have to get I'll preach to myself. <laughs> But I need a blessing for my house. I need a blessing for my family. I need a blessing for my children. I need a blessing for my parents. I need a blessing for everything that I touch. That's the kind of blessing I want. I want a blessing that supersedes me, that goes before me, that before I even get in the room, the people feel the presence of God coming before me. Before I get to the job, there's a different aura in the room because God has gone before me. Anybody want that kind of blessing? where God just prepares a way, God just breaks down walls, God changes things before you even arrive. I believe God can do that. But you have to be honest. Have to be honest. Have to be honest and let God know what he's working with. Say, let God know what you're working with. So the text says, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, my, my daughter will attest to this. I like to cook. And there are, comes times when there seems to be nothing in the kitchen. There's nothing there, and then she comes to me, Dad, I'm hungry, but there's nothing in the kitchen. I said, there's a lot in the kitchen. You just don't see it. <laughs> But I'll go in the kitchen and I'll, I'll scrounge through the cupboards or I'll open the fridge and I'll, I'll whip up something. And she's like, where did you find this? Because there was nothing there. There was nothing except. Nothing except this. Nothing except that. 
And it's, it's a contradiction. God wants us to know our nothing coupled with his something equals everything. Our nothing coupled with his something equals everything. Somebody say everything. So the key to your breakthrough, your freedom, your deliverance, the death, the doubt, your situation is in this text. And the answer to this question, how do you survive loss in your house, in your life? How do you survive change? And there's three steps that I want to give for you today. Somebody say three. Three Three steps. Then he said in verse three, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Somebody say all. all. And empty vessels and not too few. I have loss in my house. I have nothing in my house. Why are you telling me to go get more empty stuff? Why are you telling me to go out and find empty vessels when I already have empty vessels? I'm already depleted. I already have nothing. They're already about to take everything away, and you want me to collect more of nothing. Why are you asking me to do this? But obedience precedes miracles. Your obedience precedes your miracle. So she's at home, and and, and he asked her to go out and borrow these empty vessels. And and the point I want to make to you for the the first point is you have to step outside of your comfort zone. Home was the place of comfort for her. Home was the place that she had, had made comfortable for her and her family. She probably hung a picture on the wall. She had a couple vases in the corner. She had a nice area rug. She had found this, the perfect couch with the perfect color to accent the rug and the colors within the rug. She knew how to, how to make this home comfortable, and, and it, was, it was beautiful, and it, it was her place of comfort. Any woman know what I'm talking about? How to make a home a home? make a house a home (laughs) and it suited her needs it was her safe place it was the last safe place she had and 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 he wants her to leave and go into the neighborhood and find some empty vessels leave her place of comfort and go out into the community leave her place of comfort and go out into the neighborhood leave her place of comfort and go out The widow was empty because of the death in her house. And he's asking her to go out and find people. Go out and make connections. Go out and get some more empty vessels. See, Elisha says, go outside and find as many people who are losing in life and bring them back to your house. Are you with me? Elisha says, okay, you have empty jars, but I need you to go find some other people with some empty jars. You're going through a loss, and and it seems like your house is depleted. Go outside, go in the neighborhood, and find some other people who have some jars that are depleted. Go out and connect with some people who are going through something just like you. Go out and find somebody who has experienced loss just like you. Go out and find somebody who has lost their job just like you. Go out and find somebody who has lost a loved one just like you. Go out and find someone who has has an unruly child just like you. Go out and connect with somebody and bring them back to your house. Say bring them back to the house. 
bring him back to the house. Now, in order for her to complete the assignment of the prophet, there had to be people outside who had empty jars sitting around. There had to be people outside with the same lack of resources, the same loss, the same pain, the same brokenness, the same lack, the same empty jars, the same behavioral problems, the same financial problems, the same relational problems, the same life problems, the same brokenness. Stop being so concerned about the problems in your own house and step outside. You're not the only one going through, (laughs) boo-boo. Problems are not exclusive to you. You're not the only one who's had a tough time. You're not the only one who's faced adversity. There is someone who's going through what you're going through. You're not exclusive to, uh, to problems. So just get out the house. Turn to your neighbor and say, get out the house. Get out the house. <laughs> so the funny thing is, Elisha did not ask her to borrow oil or flour. Because you know back in the day, you would just go across the street, I need some oil, need some flour. Can I? Yeah, you come with your empty jar and say, you pour a little flour in here and make it, son. Don't want to run to the store. Just borrow the flour. He didn't ask her to do that. And what God is saying with that is he doesn't want no temporary fixes. If you go and just borrow, that's a temporary fix. You're still going to have to go to the store. You're still going to have to. Once you use it, you're still going to, have, you're going to be in the same predicament. So we're going to stop with the temporary fixes. He wants to do it all. He wants to work it all out. So you don't have to keep going back to the same problem. Keep going back to the same issue. No temporary fixes. The widow could not gather from what was already full. She had to find empty. She had to find people with, with lack in their lives. And, and, and one of the things that, that this highlights for me is that perfect people leave no room for God to work. If y'all fold up, ghost up, leave no room for God to work. Where is there room for God to come in and do what he can do when we're all full? (laughs) So I'm glad I'm not perfect. Anybody glad they're not perfect? I'm glad I'm not perfect. I'm glad I I struggle. I'm glad that I I fail. I'm glad that God has room to work in my life. So don't feel bad that, that things haven't been perfect. That's a perfect opportunity for God to work in your life. Don't get upset that your story isn't picture perfect. God has an opportunity to work in your life. And I'm excited that God has an opportunity to work in each and every one of your lives. And he wants to. He wants to work in your life. So Elisha here in our story, he knew that her condition was not exclusive to her. So he told her, go out and find somebody just like you. And God knows your condition is not exclusive to you. So he's telling you to find somebody somebody just like you. Get out the house. So we jump down to verse 4, and then we see that the boys go out and get the vessels, and they come back. 
And then they go in, and then verse 4 says, then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. When one is full, set it aside. So the second point that I want to leave with you is build relationships and start pouring. Somebody say, build relationships and start pouring. I want you to do the little pour. Start pouring. <laughs> start pouring. I want you to remember it. Build relationships and start pouring. <laughs> See, growing up, my mom kept a mental note of everything <laughs> that she gave me. She kept a mental note of all the toys she brought me, all the, all the, the clothes that she brought me. So when I'm in kindergarten going to school and, and bringing my toys for show and tell and things like that, she knew everything I had. So when I went to school and I came home and I had something in my bag that didn't necessarily belong to me, there was many questions. Yeah, oops. <laughs> there were questions. Where did you get this from? Why do you have this? And the reason that she asked these questions, it wasn't that we borrowed or we were exchanging toys. The reason she asked this is because she saw how Jason handled his toys. She saw how I was, I was rough and tough with my toys and I threw them around and she didn't want to pay to replace anybody's toys. She didn't want to pay to replace anybody's stuff. So when I came home with somebody else's stuff, <laughs> she made sure that, that, that she asked me about it and she set it aside and said, bring it back just how you found it. Don't mess it up. Don't break it. Bring it back. Because my mom was worried about me misplacing the toy or breaking the toy and having her to play money to replace it because it wasn't mine. So she saw how rough I was and she didn't want me to break anyone else's stuff. She didn't want me to, to mishandle anyone else's stuff. She didn't want me to, 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 to mess up anyone else's stuff. And the reason some of us can't go out and bring in empty vessels, we can't go out and bring empty vessels home, is simply because we're so used to mishandling our own stuff that when we get a hold of another person's empty vessel, we mess it up too. We don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to handle it. And just like my mom didn't want me to mess up anybody else's toys, God is having a hard time trusting us with other people's mess. God is having a hard time trying to trust us with other people's heartache. He's having a hard time trying to trust us to, 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 to help somebody else. Because we're so used to mishandling our own stuff that we don't know how to handle anybody else's stuff. But I break that today. We will handle people with care. We will handle people with love. We will lead with love. Because every life matters. What's the goal? We're the rock church where where your life matters. So if your life matters, you lead with love. When life matters, you lead with compassion. When life matters, you lead with, with, with care and concern. When life matters, only if life matters. <laughs> so we bring things into the house and we talk bad about it. We bring things in the house and say it smells funny. <laughs> we
We bring things into the house and say, it doesn't quite fit in here. We bring things in the house and say, oh, it's too old or it's too young. We bring things in the house and, 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 and speak about it because it doesn't look like what we're used to in our own comfort zone. It doesn't fit in our house. So we have to stop mishandling broken vessels. The arrogance has to leave. The pride has to go. The nose in the air has to leave. The backbiting has to go. The gossiping has to go. The nasty backstabbing has to go. It's got to go. Somebody say, it's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go. In order to impact our community, in order to impact our neighborhood, in order to impact the people that we interact with every day, this stuff has got to go. It's got to go. And the last time I checked, there was still death in your house. Don't get brand new. Still got stuff. I still got stuff. Just because I'm up here don't mean I don't have stuff. Just like any one of you. We all got stuff. So don't get above yourself. Check yourself. <laughs> Before you wreck yourself. <laughs> He's going to throw them all out today. <laughs> so you got to build relationships. You got to leave your comfort zone. Got to find empty vessels. And we have to go out in order to bring them in. We can't stay in and expect them to come in. Got to go out to come in. Say, I got to go out to bring them in. I got to go out. To bring them in. <laughs> so we have here in the text that it talks about pouring the oil. Now the oil is the spirit, and the spirit was, was the collection of her experiences. It symbolized the collection of her, spirit, her experiences. The widow's spirit was her testimony. Somebody say her testimony. And in verse 5 it says, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. So you've been in a series on discipleship, and this is one of the greatest examples in the Bible, I think. I love narratives. I love, I'm like an Old Testament guy because I love the, the storylines. So I think this is one of the greatest narratives. And when you begin to pour out your testimony, when you begin to tell your personal story, empty vessels will come to you. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. So when you begin to pour out your testimony, the empty vessels, when you begin to pour out your spirit, when you begin to pour out what God has, has, has put you through, when you begin to start to share your story, vessels will come to you. So I just want to remind somebody that you don't have to be afraid to share your story. There's value in your story. There's value in your experiences. Some of us have devalued our experience and feel that it's not worthy of being shared because it's too dark. It's too ugly. It's not picture perfect. It doesn't line up like everyone else's. It doesn't line up like everyone else's highlight reel on their Instagram story. It doesn't line up but I want to remind you, you don't have to be afraid to share your story. Yeah. 
Your story is what's going to bless somebody else. Do you believe that today? Your experience is what is going to bless somebody else. If I, as a parent, never sat down and talked with my son or my daughter and never shared what I went through, they'd be at a deficit. So why do you think anyone else wouldn't be at a deficit if we don't share, if we don't communicate? And one of the, the craziest things in culture today or, or in the church today and all, all over today is the, the, the disparity between generations. The sharing of stories from generations down to generations down to generations. That's how, how, how things have been passed along for years, for centuries. And it seems like we're getting away from sharing and having that intergenerational connection. I love talking to my grandmother. I love talking to my grandfather. I love sitting around with some seasoned people. Because there's something that needs to be transferred. And it goes both ways. As things are transferred down, things can be transferred up. I can show you how to use an iPad. I can show you how to maneuver your iPhone. I can show you how to, how to swiftly move through the app so you're not stuck behind in service. <laughs> I was struggling this morning. I was like, where is this declaration? She had to help me. And I ain't even old. I'm not that old. <laughs> But there is exchange from generation to generation that goes both ways. Don't be afraid to share your story. So the third thing now in our text that I want to leave with you is that it says that she kept pouring. Somebody say, keep pouring. Her job was to pour. Her job was to share her life. Her job was to share her testimony. And look at how many people were blessed by her obedience. So that means you need to join a ministry or connect with something. Get involved. Make a new friend. Speak to your neighbor. When was the last time you talked to your next door neighbor? How long you been living there? When was the last time you just sat outside, had a conversation? Told him to have a good day. Told him, hey, I'm praying that you have a great day. Nothing funny. Don't have to get all weird about it. Just have a conversation. And you'll see walls start to come down. You'll see people begin to be disarmed. A smile goes a long way. When I was a kid, I used to listen to this radio show, and I, I sent it. I had to mail in my letter to get a little prize. And what, what came with the prize was a little wall, um, a fridge ornament. And it said, a smile is a curve that sets things straight. Used to have that on my fridge as a kid. And I remember it to this day. A smile is a curve that sets things straight. Smile. Try it right now. <laughs> when you go out in the lot, smile. It'll set something straight. And if you really, if you're really excited, if you really want to try something new, I dare you to skip to your car in the parking lot. <laughs> try to be angry and skip. I dare you to try. <laughs> dare you to try and be angry and skip. I've never seen an angry person skip. <laughs> that would be the awkwardest thing ever. But smile and set something straight. Smile and, and break down some walls. Smile and break down some, some strongholds. We make some things bigger than they have to be. 
And if you just come with a peaceful spirit, come with a, 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 a sweet spirit sometimes, it will transform some relationships. It will transform some situations. And some walls will begin to come down. So just let's, let's recap our story. We've gone outside and stepped out of our comfort zone, right? We've built some relationships. We've brought back the empty vessels and, and, and we've, we've started to pour. And then what are we pouring now? We're pouring our, our testimony into the empty vessels. Somebody say pour. And then we pour out the stories of how Jesus kept us when, 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 when our husband died. Somebody say poor. We pour out the stories of how Jesus kept us when, when, when the wife left. Somebody say poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept when, when you lost your job. Poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept you when your bank account stayed overdrawn. Poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept you when the relationship ended. Poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept you when you're strung out on drugs. Poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept you when you were standing on the corner getting that cash. Poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept you when, when, when you were sleeping around with everybody. Poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept you and you didn't get no diseases. Poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept you when you were found not guilty in the courtroom. Poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept you when they came and repossessed your car. Poor. Pour out the stories of how Jesus kept you and is keeping you now. Pour it out. Pour the oil. Pour the oil. Pour out your testimony. Pour out your story. Pour and keep pouring and keep pouring. Because when you pour, when you pour the oil, when you begin to pour the oil, you'll forget about the emptiness in your own house. You'll forget about the emptiness in your own house, and God will begin to fill your house. He'll fill your house with his glory. He'll fill the house with his presence. He'll fill the house with his goodness. He'll fill the house with long-suffering. He'll fill the house with healing. He'll fill the house with his spirit. He'll fill the house with anointing. He needs to fill the house. So poor. Pour. When you pour the oil, God will keep sending empty vessels. You won't be limited in size because you'll have to keep, get another jar, find another empty vessel, get another. This will expand. This will grow when you generally pour from what's inside of you. Verse 6 says, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And the oil stopped flowing. It's the text. So what that tells me is that the oil didn't stop flowing for a lack of oil. The oil stopped flowing because of a lack of vessels. So the question becomes, have you reached everyone that you're supposed to reach? Have you touched everyone that you're supposed to touch? 
The oil didn't stop flowing for a lack of oil. You're always going to have your story. You're always going to have your testimony. You're always going to have your experience to share. You're, no one can take that. But where are the vessels? Where is your community? Where are your neighbors? Where are your family? Where are your friends? Where are the people that you're impacting with your life? Keep pouring. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this message of, of love and this message of, of care, this message of discipleship that sends us out to go find some empty vessels, to go out and pour our testimony, pour out what you've, what you've given us, pour out your love to us. Father, we're grateful for this today. And we're challenged by it today as well. We're challenged to, to change. We're challenged to confront change with, with doing something a little different. To getting out of our comfort zone and trusting you and being obedient to your calling. Father, I pray even right now that as we, we walk out of this place that we'll come upon some circumstances, some people that will force us to live this out. Force us to get uncomfortable. Force us to, to step out of our comfort zone and, and to live on the edge for you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your people here at The Rock. I thank you now for, for, for Pastor Fred and his wife. I pray that you will even bless them even now wherever they are. And let them lead the way with love. Let them lead the way with, with compassion. Let them lead the way as you have, have given it to them, Father. And Father, when all is said and done, I want to see everyone under the sound of my voice in your kingdom. So help us to remain faithful. Help us to finish out the, the, the work here on this earth. Help us to go and make disciples. Help us to be strong and courageous because you are walking with us wherever we go. You are going before us and you will lead the way. So Father, give us that boldness to get out, and to keep pouring. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Amen.